Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Are you doing good? Oh, you can do better than that. Hey, hey you know what we're having? We're having a demonstration. This is a demonstration. You don't have to just demonstrate against things. You can demonstrate for things. Let me tell you what I'm demonstrating. I'm demonstrating for the fact that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. And I am worshiping and I am praising him this morning. And I hope you're worshiping and praising him along with me. We have so many things that we can give God glory for. Are you ready to give God glory today? Are you? Is that in your heart today? I hope it's in your heart today. It's in my heart today. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining us from all over this region. It's been so awesome to see. Last uh, week, we had 3,242 uh, 3, people, uh, people that came to live services, and we're going to have more this week because God is bringing us all back home, and that's just awesome to feel that, experience that. I can't live. I can't live without that. I need. Uh, to have that energy that comes from the Lord and his people. And I know that that is true for you. So if you're online, uh, we miss all of you. And we're, we, we look forward for when you can come back. I know a lot of you are trying to be careful, and that's just fine. But uh, we are here for you, and we've never left. And it's exciting to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. Now, I want to take a few moments and do something, okay? Sonny Woolard is retiring from the crossing ministry this week. So before the sermon today, I just wanted to take a few moments and reflect. Will you do that with me? Sure. Now, all of you that know Sonny know that he's a, and I'm not going to tell you anything that isn't absolutely true. All of you that know Sonny know he's a disco roller skater. You know that he's a telephone man who can climb a telephone pole without spikes. You know, he's a pig farmer, a guitar player, a motorcycle rider, and a helicopter pilot, all true. And a man with the world's ugliest feet. But did you know that he did ministry in Flora, Illinois, and Keokuk, Iowa, before he came here? Did you know that he is a dead ringer for Barney Fife? Did you know that he organized the Crossings Adult Bible Fellowship, built our first computer database, structured our computers, our phones, most of our systems? Did you know that he championed the Kirksville launch? Kirksville built it out and about got killed when a door fell on him. Did you know that he built out the JDL, uh, JDL building in Pike County and designed the building that you are in right now. Did you know that he wrote and filmed all the small group training, volunteer training, welcome training? Did you know that he designed the Hannibal build out, the Lima project, the Mount Sterling refit? Did you know that he organized the Keokuk launch and renovation, designed and oversaw the Jacksonville project from start to finish, that he refit our camp, built out our MDI platform, and has been our multi-site student director, working with student pastors, mentoring, programming, and encouraging them. And he and Mary are moving to Arizona to be with their kids and grandkids, and we just wanted to say two things. Thank you and well done. Would you help me take a moment and thank the one and only Preston L. Ty Woolard III.
in the flesh on stage, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, only one. They broke the mold, and that was a, probably a good thing to do. But anyway, uh, we, we asked people to make videos just uh, thanking him, and we thought, you know, going to be, you know, we were actually going to show that, show that. It was like 41 minutes long, so he said no. But he got, he, we were able to get, give that to him, and as a sweet, uh, a sweet thing, and, uh, and he'll be out there. Uh, are you going to be smooching people? Yeah. Yeah, so keep your six feet of distance, okay? And that's a good thing. So, speaking of Sonny, how many of you had that one bad apple in your family? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But really, seriously, that one person in your family who just doesn't know how to not get into trouble. I'm not asking for a show of hands. They may be sitting with you right now. Maybe you had to go through some sort of an intervention, Maybe you had to show some tough love. Maybe you have repeatedly bailed them out of situations, you know, that they got into some trouble in. Well, you know, for many of us, that's nothing new. And it's certainly nothing new when you approach and read the New Testament because the New Testament is full of stories, Old Testament as well, full of stories of people like that. Now today, we're going to spend some time in a Bible book, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because it's more of a Bible note or a Bible memo uh, than a Bible book. It's 25 verses long. It has one chapter, so I don't even know why you would say chapter one. But uh, it just has 25 verses in it, and it could just as easily be uh, written in on a greeting card as it could, you know, as a Bible book because it's a, it's a short personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a man that he had a great deal of spiritual influence on named Philemon. And it's also about another man that Paul has had a great spiritual influence on named Onesimus. Now, there's a, it's a quick reading, no matter you know, how slow you read. 25 verses doesn't take long. But a quick reading of this short letter will inform you about who Onesimus is. Onesimus is identified in the letter as a slave in the house of Philemon. He probably stole something in that house and then ran away with it. So Onesimus is identified in the letter as both a thief and a runaway slave. Now, when I use that term, uh, that's a powerful term, especially in the circum cultural circumstances we're living in right now. It stirs up all sorts of things in our relatively young American culture, right? Because what we do is we want to understand that in terms of our own history of enslavement. So when you think about it, we all, we, we, everything, everything bends toward our culture. But to understand the story, you have to understand ancient history because ancient history is a much different matter. Okay, we're talking 2,000 years ago, not 300 years ago or 250 years ago. In the Apostle Paul's time, Greek and Roman culture was a culture of conquering 
and being conquered. So it was an age of world empires, and one world empire would fall to another world empire. And at the time, it was the Roman Empire. So Rome was in charge, and most all the people of the earth were under their authority, okay? Now, 20 to 30% of the population of the known world at that time would have been considered slaves or enslaved. The vast majority of the rest of them, all but one to three percent, were considered non-citizen residents. Now, if you were a non-citizen resident of the Roman Empire, you were still considered enslaved because whatever they told you to do, that's what you had to do. There wasn't any representation you didn't get to vote. There wasn't anything like that, okay? There was only about 1% to 3% of the population of the entire world that were not considered enslaved. And those were Roman citizens. So those were uh, Italians at the time, citizens of Rome and the, the region of Italy, and those people that had bought or in some way been able to receive Roman citizenship. That's why Paul's Roman citizenship was such a big deal because it was so extremely rare uh, in that world. So this little letter, it leaves a lot of stuff out that if you could read it in context, you might have a much better understanding of what is really going on. It's like, uh, it's like if one of your kids was, was writing a love note to somebody that they didn't want you to know that they were writing notes to and they threw something in the trash and you're digging out of the trash and then you're putting it back together and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You might read a lot into that story, right? Well, does this mean that? And could this mean that, right? So you could draw a lot of uh, conclusions, maybe easily come to the wrong conclusion. And that could happen when you read Philemon as well. Scholars have actually argued about this letter, and I'll tell you what they've argued about, about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. So when you read the letter, you're thinking master-slave, you're thinking of landowner and property owner and an indentured servant, but many scholars actually believe that Onesimus and Philemon were blood brothers, that they were actually in the same family. Now, I want you to imagine something with me right now. Imagine that you had a brother or sister that was constantly getting into trouble. And over and over again, as the older brother or the older sister, you were having to bail them out. You were having to fix their problem. And you knew that they needed to have some sort of stability in their life, some way of getting back on the right path, right? And so the way you decided to do that was to bring them back to your house not as a brother or a sister, but as a hired hand. And before you think that's kind of a crazy thought, I want to recall a story to you that Jesus told in the Gospels that we call the prodigal son. Because that's exactly what the parable of the prodigal son was talking about. You remember that, uh, uh, that uh, prodigal son had taken his father's inheritance, the father gave him his inheritance, and he, and he went to a far country and he spent it on loose living, right? And then the money ran out and a famine came to the land and he was starving to death. 
And so this young Jewish man has reduced to working with pigs, which is like the ultimate humility, right? For anyone that's Jewish. And it actually says in the story, he was longing to eat what the pigs were eating. And at that moment, Jesus says he came to himself. You all know what that means, right? Have you ever, how many of you ever had one of those I came to myself moments? Like, like, what am I doing? This is nuts. Well, that's the moment that he had in that pigsty. And this is what came out of that he came to himself moment. He said, even the slaves or the servants in my father's house are treated better than this. At least they're not starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Just make me one of the hired hands and I'll be completely and totally satisfied with that. And so he started off toward his father. Now, you know the other side of that story. The other side of the story is the father sitting on the front porch. And it says in the story, while that son, or disheveled as he was and emaciated, and dirty, even while he was still a long way off, the father knew him and recognized him and ran and ran to him. It's the only time in the whole Bible that God is pictured as running. And where is he running? He's running to a lost son. And the son has his whole speech prepared and he starts in, but the father won't hear any of it. And he said, my son was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found and he put a robe on him and a ring on his finger. And he said, kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. And you remember the rest of that story that the older brother was angry with his father for treating the younger son this way. So what would have happened in the story uh, Jesus told if it really wasn't about the father? Say the father died while the younger son was a long way off and it was the older brother that was in charge because if it was up to the older brother, I don't think he would have been welcomed back as a son. I think he probably would have taken up that idea of the hired hand. So maybe the story of Philemon and Onesimus it's like the alternative ending of the prodigal son. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, I want to stop right there. And I want to make a couple of statements. One is that the Apostle Paul in the letter, he makes it clear that Philemon is a good man. And that he's a spiritual man. In verses 4 to 7, it says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective and deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love, listen to this, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear that the Apostle Paul considers Philemon a good, honorable man. Now, a little further reading, actually, just before that, it says that he has a, a large house and he uses his house 
as the church building on the Lord's day. So everybody comes to Philemon's house to go to church. In uh, the second part of verse one and verse two, it says to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Now, while this little letter makes it very clear that Paul considers Philemon a really good man, it gives you a different impression about Onesimus, at least until he ran into Paul at Rome, that he really wasn't a good man. Paul makes the same spiritual investment, though, in Onesimus as he would do with anybody. And I love that about Paul because he's like no respecter of persons, just like God is no respecter of persons. It's like you don't get on the A list or the B list or the C list that everybody needs a savior equally. And that's the way he treats Onesimus. And I think the reason that Paul does that is because Onesimus is a picture of the heart of the apostle Paul. Think about Paul. What kind of a guy? How about a big of a mistake did he make when he came against the church to kill the followers of Jesus Christ and put him in prison, right? He needed a second chance. And I think he looked at everybody that way. You see, Onesimus is a picture of repentance, of a second chance and of redemption. And so is the story of the Apostle Paul. And when you read through this little memo of a letter, you can feel this extreme weight that the Apostle Paul is putting on Philemon. And Philemon must think that he has every right to be uh, angry and to hold a, a grudge against Onesimus. But Paul, he pulls out every stop, every single stop that he can on Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. That's what the scripture says, and to give him another chance. I want you to go back to verse 11, though. Verse 11 is a really interesting verse. If you uh, understand, I, I don't really understand the Greek language, but there's some things in the original language that open up to you when you look at verse 11, all right? Because verse 11 is a play on words. This is what it says. Formerly, he, Onesimus, was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. And you're going, that, that, that's not funny. That's no play on words. Well, actually, yes, it is. Because the word Onesimus, the name Onesimus means useful. So when mom and dad had Onesimus, they said, what, what, what will his name be? Well, his name's going to be useful. What an irony, right? Can you imagine how Philemon used that name before Onesimus ran away? Oh, there goes old Useful again. Why don't we have Useful pick it up at the hardware store? It might never make it home. You know, Useful. Onesimus is named after the very thing that he isn't. Now, before you're done with this little play on words... I want us to look at another name. And the other name is Philemon. You know what Philemon means? It means loving or one who shows kindness. And the last thing in the world Philemon wants to do is be loving to Onesimus or show him any kindness, right? 
So by using the language that Paul's using, he is saying that Philemon has an opportunity now to live up to his name. Now, there's something else I see in this little letter. It's not addressed to one person. Did you see that at the beginning? It says, it says that it's addressed to Philemon and also Aphia and Archippus, right? Uh, there's a woman and another man and then to the whole church that meets in your house. That's a very big deal, all right? Because when the Apostle Paul writes a letter and he addresses it like that, guess what you have to do? The recipient of the letter has got to read it publicly in church. Read it publicly in church. Now, most of these things, you know, <laughs> you think they should be private. You know, so for what purpose? Why? Why would Paul address it to more than one person? It shows you a little bit more about the story. You know, Paul knows this, that, that matters like this need to be settled privately, and they're only discussed publicly if they cannot be uh, resolved privately, right? If somebody refuses to settle it privately. And he uses some really strong language. So I can, I can actually see Philemon has already probably done some things that are, that's giving Paul the impression that uh, he's not going to, to do this unless he brings some weight down on him. So he uses some really strong language. Paul uses some strong language saying in the letter that he could order Philemon to do it. And he says that Philemon, you owe me. You owe me your spiritual life. Basically, you wouldn't be, go to he you wouldn't be going to heaven if I hadn't told you about Jesus. And Philemon is hearing now that his relationship with the apostle Paul and the church that meets in his house is all hinging on his response to this little letter. Now, this gives me the impression that Paul knows that Philemon is really intent on an action that is not going to give glory to God or to be a good example. He knows it, and he's addressing it. Now, here's what I want to do. I want us to take a moment, because right now, at this particular moment, you're going, I know more about the book of Philemon than I have known in my whole life. Thank you, Jerry. It's been a great class up to this point. But that's not what sermons are about. Sermons aren't just about information. They're about motivation, right? They're about, okay, God, what are you going to do with this story and how are you going to use it to change and adjust my life? And the truth is the word of God is powerful. Amen. It's powerful and it can change what goes on in our hearts. It can change our understanding of God and ourselves in the light of God. So I want to do that right now in the time we have left. There are three principal characters in the story, right? Character number one, Philemon. Character number two, Onesimus. Character number three, the Apostle Paul. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with me just for a moment, okay? I don't want you to think about people around you. All of our locations, just think about you right now. If I were to ask you this question, and you had to answer it, who in this story do you identify with? Like right now. Now, if I don't, if I don't put a time frame on that, I can actually identify with 
all three characters because there's been times where I've been Onesimus, there's been times when I've been Philemon, and then there's been times I've been the Apostle Paul. But I'm not saying about at all times in your life. I'm saying right now, at this moment, right now, which character in the story do you identify with? Are you Onesimus? Are you old useful? You're just that person who goofs things up. You're the person who makes bad decisions. You're the one who has a bad reputation that you just can't seem to live down. People just don't trust you anymore. And you really don't blame them. Maybe you've come to that turning point in your life, like Onesimus did when he visited Paul in Rome, and Paul invested himself into Onesimus, and Onesimus's heart changed. And just like Paul, you just need somebody to go out on a limb with you, to believe in you when no one else will. Let me tell you something I know about God. I believe that God is a God of second chances. As a matter of fact, I believe that God is a God of 70 second chances. Now we have had our share (laughs) at the crossing. We have had our share of believing in people and then being burnt. I'm not kidding. We've all got those marks on us if we've been around very long. But you know what? I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't think it should be any other way. And let me tell you one more thing about God with this whole Onesimus part. God's here. No matter what location you're at, if you're online, God is here. He's here right now. Let me tell you something about God's grace. God's grace is enough. It is enough. Are you identifying with Onesimus? If you are, take the opportunity and let God's grace wash over you. Are you Philemon? (laughs) You feel like you've been playing by all the rules and everybody else has taken advantage of the rules and taken advantage of you and it seems like they get away with it. Do you feel like you do enough good things that you ought to be able to write yourself a permission slip to put up some barriers to other people? Do you spend a lot of time justifying yourself for all the good that you have done? Are you that guy, that lady? Let me tell you something else about God. There is never a time, never, and there never will be a time in this life where you will have paid back the debt of grace that you owe. It cannot be paid back. And just because you look good to your friends, like Philemon did, it doesn't mean that God no longer sees you as you really are. And some of us need to be reminded of how God's grace applies to us, and we need to stop believing our own press. Like, I'm good. Do you connect with Philemon? at this moment in your life. Or maybe you connect with the Apostle Paul. I know that sounds kind of audacious, but listen. 
Do you have a huge investment in a Philemon? Or do you have a huge investment in an Onesimus? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. And now you have an opportunity to pour the faith that you have into someone else. But you know that if you do that, you're going to risk both relationships. See, that's what happened with Paul. He invested in Philemon, and he had a great soldier for Jesus Christ. But now he's investing in Onesimus, and that could blow up not only his relationship with Philemon, but ultimately Onesimus too. And here's the question that comes out of, if you identify with Paul, are you willing to give up something really valuable just for an opportunity at reconciliation that someone can have reconciliation with God? What are you willing to put up on the table for people to be reconciled with God? Are your priorities keeping relationships intact or are your priorities to extend grace? You know, the Bible says, or Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, right? But how many of you have traded peacemaking for peacekeeping? And there's a big difference. Peacemakers get in between people. And it's when you're acting as a peacemaker that you can actually be wounded from both directions. When you're a peacekeeper, all you're trying to do is push the problem aside. What are you willing to give up to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper? Are you more concerned about keeping relationships intact, or are you more concerned about God extending grace through you? So Philemon, even though it's this little book of 25 verses, it's really a book about tough relational decisions. And I would imagine at this moment in your life, everyone that I'm talking to, everyone that's hearing the sound of my voice, you're in the midst of some tough relational decision. I don't think there's ever a time in our life when we're not. And maybe you need God's wisdom for that. How am I going to manage through this? Well, Philemon is priceless for you. Your life is full of these kinds of situations. And if there was ever a time that it is clear to me that we need the wisdom of God, it would be in navigating on the relationships and the people that we love or the people that we used to love and now we're struggling with. And at the same time, being ambassadors for God's grace. And that makes sense. Because we're at church today demonstrating our faith in someone that we love greatly because he saved us and he continues to save us. He forgave us and he continues to forgive us. And when he was bleeding and dying on the cross, he didn't do that for anything he did. He did it for all the things that you and I did. And why wouldn't we expect to have that example 
in front of us as a symbol of reconciliation. Jesus is the ultimate ambassador of the grace of God, and he calls us to be ambassadors as well. I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.